Father, your grace that reaches to us. Uh, We could spend our lifetimes searching out different facets of it and new beauties to behold of the way you gave all that was needed for sinners like us. Thank you for your love given to your enemies to make us your adoptive sons and daughters. Thank you for your son who welcomes sinners close to find forgiveness. And thank you even for the way his grace calls us to find joy and gratitude in our service and a devotion to him. Uh, This morning, would you fill our hearts anew with a sense of our own guilt due to our sins and a sense of gratitude for the grace we have in Christ. We pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Dinner party drama. Is there anything more delicious? Uh, Read an account this week of a woman named April who was helping her mother throw a dinner party for her friends and family after church one Sunday. Um, April's mother was the type of the hostess of the mostess who attended to all the details. Uh, She made sure the punch bowls were polished, the, the doilies were in place. All of the food was exquisite. And it didn't, it didn't even just need to taste good. It also needed to look good. So long after the dog was put into the basement and all the preparations were made, there April's mother was fussing over the canopies, the little hors d'oeuvres. They don't look just quite right. April kept telling her mother, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. No one's going to notice. Well, soon enough, all the guests started arriving. And uh, her hostess abilities were shown to be great. People loved what, was, uh, what they were being served. They were having wonderful conversation. Until the moment where their great big dog managed to push open the basement door. And in one big leap, that big dog made his way from the basement right to the dinner table and took a big bite for himself. Not of the canopies, but of one of the guests. Now, as you might imagine, chaos ensued. The poor guest had to be taken to the hospital for stitches. And in the big hubbub, one of the grandmothers who was there tripped over the diaper bag of the guest of honor and fell with a thud so loud that she also had to be taken to the hospital. (laughs) Hours later, after all the chaos had died down, April and her mother were sitting down in a state of shock, wondering what just happened. And April said to her mother, Well, at least no one noticed the canopies. (laughs) Dinner party drama. I'm sure you've had an occasion or two for it. Our text this morning has a sort of dinner party drama to it. Uh, A drama that has nothing to do with the food that's served. But one that would be memorable for everyone that was there. And in fact, one that we need to remember today. Uh, It's a story which will show us lines being crossed hearts being exposed, and a main course of grace being served for anyone that will come to Jesus to feast. It's a a moving story of a sinful woman who finds welcome at the feet of Jesus and grace to serve him. And we have much we need to learn from it as well this morning. Uh, We're going to move through the text in three sections. In 36 through 38, we'll see the scandal of love. The scandal of love. Then in 39 through 50, 
we'll see the debts of grace. The debts of grace. And then finally in chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 3, we'll see the call to all. The call to all. In all of this, we will learn this important truth. That the greater our grasp of our guilt, the greater our gratitude for his grace. Or said another way, the more you appreciate your sin, the more you'll appreciate your Savior. Let's go on this journey together, beginning with the scandal of love in 36 through 38. Uh, Last week, we heard from Matt how Jesus taught how he fit into the prophetic timeline, uh, how John the Baptist had a special place, but if you understand who Jesus was, well, if you listen to his words, you know that a new era was upon us. Well, as a part of that passage, uh, Jesus revealed that he was being accused of something. People were claiming that Jesus was a friend of sinners, and they meant that as an insult. Well, this morning, we see an example of Jesus owning that insult, showing friendship to someone that no one would have expected him to. Uh, The scene we're told in verse 36 is Jesus being invited to a dinner party. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Uh, Likely, this would be a uh, post-Sabbath dinner party. Uh, This would be a time for the teachers, uh, the upper crust of religious society to gather together. Um, It was a sort of engagement that would often have both outsiders and insiders. Uh, The people on the inside would be the teachers, those with high, uh, well-respected people. Uh, They would be expected to engage in high levels of theological discourse, to, to chew over some really meaty questions. But then there were those on the outside. You see, they wanted an audience. So the doors and windows of the houses were often left open so people who weren't invited could listen in as their local rabbi showed his theological chops. Jesus seems to have been invited to one of these parties. Now, it's interesting. Luke doesn't note that Jesus was especially honored as a guest. In fact, that's become very relevant later in the story. He's brought, but he's brought as someone to measure themselves against. Maybe uh, someone to, who needs to prove himself a bit before he's welcomed into the inner circle. Well, that's the setting, but the first shock occurs in verse 37. The way Luke says it makes it stark. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Uh, We aren't told how this woman hears that Jesus is there. Somehow or the other, though, she gets the message. And somehow or the other, she knows enough about Jesus to know that this is a man that's worth crossing some lines to get close to. Somehow, maybe she heard Jesus teaching out in the public square. Maybe she'd heard rumors of the way he'd welcomed sinners. But somehow or the other, she got the message that it's safe for her to come close to Jesus, even when there's social stigma in doing so. Uh, Back in those days, if you were not invited to that sort of party, it would be scandalous for you to cross lines from the outsider to the insider. Uh, Even more so if you were like this woman, someone with a reputation. 
uh, that phrase, she was a woman of the city, that, that may be a euphemism for saying that she engaged in the world's oldest profession, if you get my drift. Uh, certainly, whatever it was, Luke is free to say that she was a sinner. That is, she had a scandalous past, maybe even a scandalous present, and everyone knew about it. Now, if you were a rabbi back in those days, chances are you believed in sanctification by disassociation. That if you just kept away from the right people, then that means you would keep yourself in the good graces of God. So what happens next is the second shocking thing. Uh, not only does she cross boundaries, but she begins expressing a sort of loving devotion to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't stop her. We're told that she begins washing Jesus' feet with her tears. She's so moved by her own shame and her welcome by Jesus that her tears are enough to actually drop moisture and copious amounts on Jesus' feet. Uh, then she needs a towel, so she unbraids her hair and uses that. Uh, that was akin to exposing your chest for a woman back in the day. But she's willing to expose herself if it means showing adoration and love for Jesus. Uh, she has an alabaster flask of ointment the way Luke describes that, we're to think of something very costly. She uses that to anoint his feet. And then she kisses his feet, a sign of the highest respect and honor and love. She kisses them, and the way Luke writes it, she does it again and again and again and again. Uh, this very strange scene would have stretched on for some minutes. It must have been plenty awkward at this dinner party that otherwise had all the decorum you would expect. And yet Jesus does not rebuke her. He does not send her away, and he certainly doesn't shame her. He seems to accept her expression of love and devotion. Already in this passage, we see an important principle for us to understand. That Jesus welcomes sinners of all types to draw close to him. Now, Jesus doesn't do that because he's unaware of their sins. Uh, that would be a great misunderstanding of Jesus' discernment and even his prophetic insight, much less his role as a member of the Trinity. Now, it's not that Jesus is unaware of her shameful past. It's that Jesus knows what his grace can do for her and looks toward the woman that he will make her into so that she can draw close and find the forgiveness she needs. Now, that same character of Jesus, of wanting sinners to draw close so they can find forgiveness, is still the case today, 2,000 years later. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I know there's lots of different reasons people find their way into church. Uh, it may well be that you have something in your past that you feel shameful about. Maybe something you did to someone or with someone, or something you should have done that you didn't do. Uh, maybe it's something lots of people know about. Maybe it's something that no one but God knows about. Uh, you may feel weighed down by your guilt, and you might wonder if there's any way for you to no longer have to bear this burden yourself. Uh, the good news that the Bible has for you is that Jesus is not ashamed to welcome you close. In fact, 
He wants you to come close so he can relieve you of your burden of guilt and forgive you. Uh, The way that happens is because Jesus would one day subject himself to a shameful death, being stripped naked and beaten and scorned. He allowed himself to be strung up on a cross, not because of any sins that he had that deserved that, but as a substitute for sinners, a, a sacrifice to pay the penalty of our sins. Uh, Jesus did that so that any sinner that draws close, no matter what type of sin they've been committing, can be forgiven before God and welcomed in his loving arms. Uh, Friend, I don't know how much you know about God or how much you've read of the Bible or what you know about Jesus, but know this, it's safe for you to draw close to him. If you'll repent of your sins, if you'll trust him to forgive you, you'll find him to be gentle and merciful and able to help you in a way no one else can. If you don't know how to do that this morning after the service, uh, look to your left or your right. Chances are that one of those people's a Christian. Ask them how it is you can be forgiven of your sins by coming to know Jesus. Now to us who are Christians this morning, we need to be reminded of this same reality that Jesus welcomes sinners of all types. And that means as the body of Christ, we need to be quick to welcome people to Jesus and not try to fence him off. You know, there are times that Christians fall into this insider-outsider dynamic. Uh, There are certain social stigma lines that we don't want people to cross. There are certain sins that are acceptable in every culture and certain sins that are well, more shameful in our own eyes. But that's a miscalculation according to the way that God sees sins and Jesus sees them. Jesus wants sinners of all types to come to him and so we need to be ready to welcome people before the feet of Jesus. Now our church has a mission statement. We exist to lead people to know and trust Jesus. Uh, That mission statement does not have any qualifiers in it. There's no group of people that we are exempt from attempting to lead to know and trust Jesus. No matter what type of sins they might have committed or be committing, our goal as a church together is the same. Help them to know Jesus and find forgiveness at his feet. Uh, Think of some of the things that Christians sometimes find a, a little bit of a stigma. Someone comes seeking to learn about Jesus or start coming to church. Maybe we're not so quick to welcome them into the church if they're partaking in certain activities. Uh, I got um, word this week that uh, one of our local outreach partners, Unite Indy, uh, Scott Whiting, one of our members, uh, great news, praise God. One of the things we've been praying for, their uh, grant with Marion County, two grants actually, have come through. And that means that they are now gonna have the funds to both transport Uh, men in their Jobs for Life program to different places of getting work uh, from their facilities and things like that, as well as to actually get into the correctional facilities and to be in there with the men before they are actually released of their debt to society. Now, let's say for a second, all that goes super well. Uh, Everything we've prayed for and more happens. These guys start getting jobs. Uh, They hear about Jesus and are discipled as a part of that program. 
let's say some of them start wanting to come to church. Uh, So let's say next Sunday, or Sunday not too far off, you come to your usual seat and you find it occupied by someone who's more than a little rough around the edges. Are you going to feel a little social stigma in that moment? Kind of wish he wasn't sitting there. Uh, Maybe you could sit in the overflow section. Or is your instinct going to be the one of Jesus' heart? That sinners of all type need to be welcomed to his feet. Let's change the example a little bit. I heard this week about another church, different state. Uh, A group of sisters had an ambitious goal for the Lord. Uh, They wanted to reach women that are in the adult adult uh, entertainment industry. Uh, That's not something you do lightly, and it's not something everyone should be called to, but this group of women was. And with the Lord's grace and some boldness, they were very successful at it. Uh, To the point where if you go to their church, you will see a group of women who have come out of that industry and are a part of the body of Christ Sunday after Sunday. Are we willing to let people cross lines to come to the feet of Jesus? Or there are some sins that we think, uh, I know Jesus forgives sinners, but I don't know about that type of sin. May the Lord rebuke us of any sort of thought like that in our hearts. And may he help us to always be open, sinners of all types, to come close and find forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus. First stage of the story, we see lines being crossed and Jesus not turning away this expression of love from a sinful woman. Uh, but next, we're going to see hearts exposed in the second section, verses 39 through 50, what I call debts of grace. Debts of grace. Now, crossing social lines like that, there is some baggage that comes with it. Uh, The host of the party, Simon, is the one who, in his head, voices it. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. I think Simon, by the way, this is not Simon Peter, different Simon, common name back then. Host of the party, a Pharisee, and very clearly does not like the fact that Jesus is letting this woman cross the social lines to draw close. Now, the ironic part about this, though, is Simon thinks that Jesus accepting the touch of this woman again and again is proof that he's not a prophet. Because if he were a prophet, he would have known her past. But the irony, of course, is that while Simon is grumbling in his own mind, Jesus, the true prophet, is hearing the very words he's saying and responds to his unstated objections. Verse 40, Jesus answered saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh, I have to think at that moment, Simon's eyes must have gotten really big. (laughs) What's going on here? He said, say it, teacher. And then Jesus uncorks a parable. Verse 41 through 42, uh, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Not not a hard concept to understand. Two people with debts, one 10 times more than the other, 50 days worth of wages or 500. 
both of those debts canceled completely, who is going to have greater feelings of gratitude? Now, at this point, I have to think that Simon is beginning to sense that he's being set up. Um, one of the commentators said that his response is a grudging admission. Uh, so he doesn't seem thrilled, but he has no other answer than this. He said, well, I suppose it's going to be the one that was forgiven more. Jesus says, you've judged rightly, Simon. And then he springs the trap. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So imagine the scene. He's having this theological back and forth to Simon. And then he shifts his gaze and talks facing the woman to the man he's no longer looking at. The eyes of Jesus are saying as much as his words in this moment. What does he say to him? Let's do a little compare and contrast, Simon, shall we? Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Uh, Simon, you haven't even done the basic courtesy of giving me water to wash my feet. Uh, you haven't shown me even the basic type of hospitality to be able to give me a, a kiss of, uh, on, the, on the cheek, a kiss uh, of peace. Uh, Simon, you certainly haven't honored me by anointing me as the guest of honor. And yet here she is filling in all the gaps you're leaving. Shame on you, Simon. And then he sums it all together in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he is forgiven little, loves little. Packed into verse 47 is a principle that, as my experience as a pastor, might be the most important one for your ongoing gratitude toward God and your joy as a Christian. The greater your grasp of your guilt before God, the greater your gratitude will be for his grace. Uh, the more you realize that you are a sinner in need of a savior, uh, the more you'll find your heart filled with joy that you have one in Jesus. Or as Thomas Watson much once said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Uh, oftentimes Christians find themselves not wanting to think negative thoughts about themselves. I, I once had a, a woman tell me, I don't like it when preachers talk about the fact that I'm still a sinner. It makes me feel bad. I would rather they say things that are encouraging and build me up in my self-esteem. Now, of course, it's true. It's possible to be overly harsh and sinful as we all are. I'm sure there are many preachers that do not spend enough time declaring the glories of what we are as new creatures in Christ. And yet as Christians, we need this regular diet of being reminded that our sins are many, but his mercy is more. Uh, the more we appreciate our sin, the more we appreciate the grace and forgiveness that saves us. It actually results in a great harvest of joy in our hearts. Now, maybe you're not convinced of that from this passage. I'll give you a, a proof text. 
dangerous thing to do, but I think this one's helpful. 1 Timothy 1.15. The Apostle Paul seemed to think that this was a good idea. To remember his sin again and again, no matter how much he achieved for Christ as an apostle. 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That, that's something you can say again and again and again. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and here's the important part, of whom I am the foremost. And brothers and sisters, you need again and again to hear the good news of the gospel. Uh, not because you need to be re-saved Sunday after Sunday, but because you need to, in greater depth, grasp the reality of your guilt before God and your sins. So your heart can be filled with fresh gratitude for his, safe, his, his grace that saved you. Don't shy away from it. When someone points out the fact that, yeah, there's sin left in your life as a Christian. That should be the least shocking thing in the world to us. And in fact, it's just another opportunity for us to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Knowing that he won't shame us or send us away. He'll give us fresh grace and even increase our joy in the process. Uh, from there, the account uh, results in Jesus saying directly to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Uh, at the end of verse 49, the last words of the account, he, he makes sure we know it's not any special works that this woman has done. She's saved the same way all the rest of us are. By grace and by faith, your faith has saved you go in peace. But, but I love the way Luke leaves the account with this question on the lips of everyone watching. Who is this then, even who forgives sins? Well, the woman knew. Uh, we don't know her name, but she knew Jesus's name. And she knew that he could forgive sinners of all types. And her heart was filled with gratitude by his grace and for his grace as a result. Brothers and sisters, let's never grow tired of talking about the grace of God that rescued us, that pulled us from the sea of our sin and placed us on the solid ground that is Christ. Let's never grow tired of admitting before God we're again and again in need of that same grace for our remaining sin and that that grace produces even greater gratitude as we bring ourselves to Jesus again. There's one final step uh, along this journey we have together. And that is what happens when your heart is filled with gratitude. It results in generous service. That's our third section, the call to all in chapter 8, 1 through 3. Now, the woman, again, even though Luke never tells us her name, she is undoubtedly put before us as an example to follow both as the pathway for a sinner to be forgiven and the way for a forgiven sinner to serve out of the overflow of joy. Uh, she was willing to wash the feet of Jesus, even when it meant crossing social lines in order to be able to do so. Uh, she was willing to pour out what little she had or however much she had at great cost to herself because she knew Jesus was worth it. And she was willing to show love, even when it knew it meant she would experience scorn. All of that is meant to be a wonderful, timeless example 
of service that all of us should have as we realize the grace that we've received that covered our sins. But Luke doesn't just leave us this one example. He actually continues the theme in those first three verses of chapter 8, putting alongside it a diverse set of examples of people serving Jesus out of the overflow of grace. Uh, we're told in verse 1 that Jesus and his disciples are on uh, a bit of a, a tour at this point. They're going city to city, village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 disciples are there. That's expected. But then in verses 2 through 3, Luke zeroes in on the sisters that are a part of Jesus' entourage. Tells us there's a whole group of them, but three in particular he names, and they're different, each one of them. Mary called Magdalene. Uh, she was someone under the oppression of demons that found freedom from Jesus and now is serving him with joy. Uh, next, we're told of someone called Joanna. Uh, she's from the upper crust of Israelite society. Her, her husband's a, a very important official in Herod's court. But she counts being with Jesus of more value than all the trappings of those social riches that she has. And then we're told the, there's someone named Susanna. We're not told anything about her except her name. And her, she's worthwhile. Uh, she, she's of such worth to Jesus that she is worth, her, her name is worth writing down in Holy Scripture so you would hear it this morning. Uh, Luke tells us aside from that, there were many other women that were with him. And the last phrase there, who provided for them out of their means. Uh, Luke goes out of his way to point out something that back then no one would go out of their way to do, to point out the generosity and the devoted service of a group of women and from the earliest stages of Jesus' ministry. Now, the living of the day and time in which we do, it certainly is important for us to pause here and realize that there is a highly valued, even special place in the body of Christ that Jesus has reserved for the sisters that are part of the family of God. Uh, women are highly valued in the church, and that's been the case down for 2,000 years. And if you're here this morning and you're one of the sisters in Christ that's been brought here, I, I hope you know this, that your ministry in our church is indispensable, that the body of Christ would not be able to function without the women that in God's good providence, he has brought to be a part of it. Uh, you regularly visit the sick and teach our children. You pray for the lost. You cross oceans for the name of Christ. Uh, you serve behind the scenes where no one but God sees you. You counsel from the word of God. And you join in worship and lead us in worship of, of God. Uh, none of that is an accident. And you are not a secondary part of the body of Christ. Now, brothers, if somehow you've gotten in your head that women are second-class citizens in the kingdom, uh, this should be a good indication that that is a false notion. Uh, you can learn a lot from the examples of faithful women and the way that they pour themselves out in service to Christ. Uh, these women were worthy of note. Jesus valued them, and Luke wrote them down so we would see their example. And if you had eyes to see, 
Even around you in your church, there are women that are just as worthy examples of what it means to walk with Christ. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most powerful and well-known preachers of all time, had a mentor that few people know about. Her name was Mary. Uh, Mary did not have any advanced education, never went to seminary, didn't have any special credential to her. Uh, but Mary was a very mature Christian that read lots and loved the deep things of God. And so as a result, when a young Charles Spurgeon came through her line in the cafeteria, because yes, she was a lunch lady, uh, Mary began to disciple the man that would be called the Prince of Preachers. Uh, Spurgeon later said that he learned more from her than he could have learned from six doctors of divinity. Only God knows the way he'll use each of us. Sisters, use your gifts to the ability the Lord gives. Out of the overflow of the gratitude for the grace you've received in Jesus. It's such an important thing to realize that women have a huge part in the body of Christ called to serve Christ. Uh, men, that doesn't mean that you are off the hook. We're all called to serve. Even if the examples in front of us this morning are women, all of us need to be able to answer the question, what are we willing to leave behind, to pour out? What lines are we willing to cross for the sake of serving Christ? We can never serve so much that we put Christ in our debt. We can never outgive the generosity of his grace. And we'll always find ourselves receiving far more than we've poured out. But the question is, will we obey him? Will we show loving devotion by sacrificing our reputations? Uh, by giving of the means we have, however meager it might seem. Or of devoting ourselves to discipling others in our church or someone else that the Lord has in your life. If you're a recipient of the grace of God that's covered your guilt, then you're called to give extravagant devotion for Jesus. Precious helped me this week to remember the example of a sister in the Lord who did this well, by the name of Amy Carmichael. Maybe you've read accounts of her or poetry. Uh, she was a missionary before it was cool to be one. Served in India. Very, very hard conditions. Particularly, she had a, uh, a ministry toward orphans. And she felt this strong duty to pour herself out for Christ, even when it meant it getting really, really difficult. Um, in total, she went over five decades without one time going back to her home. Five decades of service in the field without a break. And yet she understood that she was a debtor to grace. And that as much as she gave, she could never outgive the generosity that she had in Jesus. So she said this, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything I do be called sacrifice? Brothers and sisters, when you grasp your guilt, you're, you'll be grasped by the gravity of the grace that's yours in Christ. When you see yourself as a sinner, and when you see Christ as the Savior you need all along, 
And out of the overflow of your heart, when you serve him with gladness and joy and devotion, pouring out, knowing you can never outgive him, he's always worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. There's not an area of our lives over which you do not have a right to claim for service for yourself. We are debtors to your grace. Each of us stood neath a debt so great we could never afford it. There was no sinner that ever could justify themselves before your throne of judgment. And yet you've done all that we've needed so we could be forgiven. You did it all as a gift of grace. Uh, Jesus, would you let us feel the weight of that? And would you not just leave us in the pit, but draw us up to joy and gratitude and devoted worship. As we sing this song, would it now be a prayer of the overflow of a heart of gratitude that we get to serve you, the Savior that covered our sins. Accept this worship, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.